0: Hello, my friend. How are you doing? Oh, you jumped in! I said, you know what? I could almost read it on your mind. <laughs> that you, I was like, I heard buzzing. I'm like, this guy, he's he's about to.
1: I just totally stole the intro. Yeah. So we've got a couple interesting guys, and yeah. and we've also got a hot topic that we're gonna sort of dance around. TPAs. I mean, we're not dancing around it. We're getting right into it. Yeah. But but it's interesting. I think sometimes when we start talking TPAs. The road can sort of diverge into. We're even going, either going down a very dark path, or we're going down a a practical path. It seems like right now, as contractors, right, like either we're discussing sort of how to make TPAs work and the upside of them, which there are upsides. There's there's upsides. Okay. I'm a little more egalitarian than Brandon <laughs> is on this. You right. said that with such conviction. I don't know if I'm agreeing with you yet, Chris. <laughs> Gee. Right. But it's like, you know, we talk about just the practical benefit or need of them, right? They feed the kids, they put food on the table, they might be crummy jobs and not super high margins, but at least it's putting our, our team to work, blah, blah, blah. And in a lot of cases, we talk about sort of how do you set up your team? Yeah. You almost really need a separate team that's focused on the metrics and right. the process that TPA has acquired, blah, blah, blah. Right. Or, or as an industry, right? We're all fired up and pissed off about what TPAs are and how they are hard and all this kind of stuff. They take advantage of us. Blah 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 blah. And today's talk is a little bit different. It's like there's a it's third not path any of those things. No, anyway. So Brandon and Larry from Homie. So Homie is an insure tech startup that has kind of been showing up in a lot of different places. They've been kind of under the radar to some degree, but we got introduced to Brandon here, I don't know, six or eight months ago. It was last yeah. year. I don't know. And just had a really great conversation. It was exciting to see the way they were kind of creating their own kind of new category. It yeah, felt I like at the fair. time. Yeah, And I think as we got into it today, we got a better view, yeah. I think, of what they're trying to build and do and how, how I think it benefits contractors. Maybe they're onto something that uh, like, perhaps, what it seems like Core is trying to do with the TPA slash franchise, you know, trying to find sort of a new way of processing claims and connecting
0: vendors to carriers. But, anyways, a fun chat. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, both these guys are, you know, they've been VP level operators with the brands that most of us have had some kind of interaction or connection to we're talking about core logic, next gear, matterport, right? Uh, Larry's been part of Crawford and Company. They've both been contractors. Brandon had a restoration company, Larry was a GC. Mm-hmm. They just have this unique background to where they're bringing a really three-four dimensional perspective on this TPA conversation and it's affecting what they're building at homey for sure.
1: You know what I like about this conversation is sometimes conversations like this where we get into technology and we get in these big industry sort of conversations about just the attributes of carriers and struggles. and all this. Sometimes I struggle to keep up with all of it because yeah. it's. I feel like Brandon, Larry, Watley, and a number of other key figures in the industry are now really starting to talk more like technology entrepreneurs. For sure. Right, than the traditional conversations we're having around nuts and bolts, operations, exactimate pricing, all this kind of stuff. It's like, more and more the industry is moving. It's becoming more professionalized. We're starting to talk like Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Is this more of that language?
0: Definitely coming.
1: Right? Yeah. And I think as... Well, certainly as consultants, we're, we're trying to keep up with that and really stay at the front edge of that to help our clients and so forth. But I think just as operators and professionals in the industry, we have to. Yeah. like The whole industry is moving in that direction. And I think customers and carriers and other single trades... Everybody is moving forward, and we have to continue to kind of professionalize how we think about the industry and and whatnot. And and you get some of that. I mean, Brandon and Larry, like with their experience with Matterport and TPAs and so forth, like
0: you just hear it in their voice. Like oh, yeah. they look at the industry a little bit different. Yep, for sure. You know, and I think it's beneficial because again, they're they're bringing that contractor side of the experience. To the table when yeah. they're thinking about what they're developing and and how they're doing it. So again, Brandon Donatelli and Larry Nettles with Homie. Let's get into it. Right on. Welcome back to the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. I'm Chris and I'm Brandon. Join us as we wrestle with what it takes to transform ourselves and the businesses we lead. What do you think? I don't know it was kind of serious. Should we laugh? <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you taking the time to to hang out with us today. I know that you guys aren't sitting around waiting for, for new things to fill your schedules right now.
2: No, not at all. And we, we love when people want to hang out with some homies. So that's yeah. good.
0: <laughs> some and homies. Maybe
2: Brandon's resting, but I'm not resting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how long did it take for the the some homies to start getting used in in regular fashion when yeah. having conversations. Is that what you guys
1: call group. call yourselves? Is that what everybody in homie calls themselves? We're all my homies. homies
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, I use homie. I mean, I'm a child of the '80s and '90s, so homie <laughs> was you know just a part of my lifestyle. So it felt very natural for me. So I've used homies for a long time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> common parlance, right? It's like, hey, homie, what's up? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, right. I, I'm a West Coast kid. That's where it comes from for me. <laughs> mm. So, uh, just to give everybody a fair warning before we start getting into this conversation, because inevitably people are going to look at the title and see that the fact that TPA is, is in that title intentionally. So our plan today is to just do a really good audit or an overview of some of the TPA uh, characteristics and how it's affecting the landscape a bit. And our excitement to talk to you guys is... We met you... It's been a little while, I think, since the first time we chatted, Brandon. It might have been last year already, maybe early in the year. We were just very interested when you just briefly gave us some perspective on where Homey is coming from in terms of what they're addressing and, and the service line that they're bringing to the market. And the thing that stuck out to me is that I heard some focus around the customer experience from the contractor's perspective. And that's exciting for us. We, we led restoration companies for quite some time. And we did our time with TPAs. And we didn't always feel as the contractor, that there was much priority spent on us. And we cried about it and moaned about it and all the things. But I I don't think that's abnormal to have some kind of perspective on that. So we're excited to hear what you guys are doing, obviously. And not just that. You guys are professionals that have been in the industry for a long time on multiple different facets, sat on different sides of the table. And I think you guys can really bring a comprehensive perspective versus one that's just weighted... Specifically from one Mm. viewpoint, so that's the goal. I don't think we'll cry and gnash teeth and all the things, but if it goes there, you know, it it goes there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think you two are in a unique position to comment on the this aspect of the industry because of your backgrounds and so forth. But yeah, could we could we just kind of take the listeners through a survey through your eyes of the industry in this TPA landscape, and then maybe we can at the end we'll bring it to and and where it is. Homey position itself, and how does how does Homey differentiate itself from maybe the existing solutions that are out there? That was a big setup. So where do you yeah, guys want to begin a, with all that, right? <laughs> there's a
3: lot of space there, and you know, but Larry, you want to start and kind of go way back. Like, let's go back 10, 15 years, and kind yeah. of talk about where this sort of and I don't want to say born because it's been around for a long time, but. Let's let's kind of rewind a little bit and go go back into, into the early parts of where you went. The I early started. 2000s, yeah. I mean, what's your perspective back in the early days of contractor connection and, and sort of understanding the way that fits into the ecosystem and then how that's shaped your perspective and then kind of where we landed today, right?
2: Yeah. So I mean, if you look back in the and, and I wasn't you know, at the, the genesis of managed repair, but not too far away from it. What really stands out to me is when it first started, there, there wasn't a, a lot uh, of managed repair programs in the industry. And if you fast forward to today, you know, I've got my notes here, MRP market saturation, there seems to be a ton of options uh, for managed repair programs out there for contractors. So I I think that's what one of the biggest changes that I've seen is just how many different options that contractors and carriers have to use in the managed repair space? I mean, I remember when I first started at, at Contractor Connection in the estimate review team, you know, it was, there was just a couple of, uh, of competitors out there, right? The first choices of the world, the alacrities of the world. Outside of that, it was, it was relatively minimal in the industry. And you look today, you know, there's, I'd argue there's probably 20 plus, maybe even 30 managed repair companies out there that you can choose from. So you know there there's just a lot a lot of market saturation with managed repairs when thinking about the early days
0: from your guys's perspective, is there a why I mean besides like hey, there's a hole in the market, I want to make some money let's invent something right that can create revenue there most of the time there's some kind of existing pain point mm-hmm. that that these companies are providing an answer to, and that's why they become viable or or we start to use them or see them become commonplace in an industry from i mean you guys going back that far what what was the missing component? What was the pain that these guys were supposedly trying to to answer when they created the the TPA or managed repair program?
2: <laughs> Great <laughs> question. I think so. From my perspective, I think if you look at most of the of the leaders, right, they're all entrepreneurs, right? They have that entrepreneurial spirit, and and most came into the industry wanting to solve problems for their customers, right? <laughs> they had a pain point, they they had a problem that they wanted to solve. I think the early days of of managed repair. Was the fulfillment of of the, the repair process right at the time? Insurance carriers, you know, were really just issuing checks. Right, go to a policyholder, you provide a check. Maybe you know, unofficially provided them a list with a couple of contractors that you've worked with. But for the most part, the policyholder was left on their own to find uh, a good contractor, and and that causes a ton of problems. Right, satisfaction goes down. You don't feel like the carrier is there to help you out. You partnered with the wrong contractor. They don't have insurance, so everything that came from that. And and in the early days of managed repair, the the true leaders of the industry were really trying to solve that problem. How can we connect policyholders to a network of better contractors to be able to bring them back to pre-loss? So I think that was the original problem the industry was trying to solve. And then naturally, as a business owner, you then try to figure out a way to monetize it, right? Yeah. So so I, that was the biggest. Pain point that was being solved early in the days, so and I think it continues to be you know the problem that's being solved. It, it's not so much of a pain point, but now there are little nuances involved in that process that everyone's trying to solve.
1: So it started out customer driven. It was it was really to yeah. solve for customer experience, right? A major breakdown. Somebody gets the wrong contractor. All of a sudden, they associate that negative experience with the carrier, right? Yep. They're, they're seeing they're seeing policy lapse. You know, they they're seeing all these negative outcomes from low satisfaction claims and they're saying all right how do we troubleshoot this let's let's create a network let's vet these contractors ahead of time that was really the impetus originally was solving for the customer experience issue yes yeah i mean that that to me makes a lot of sense but of course the the overall narrative in the industry right is it was all about just reducing severity all the dollars and cents but what you're saying is it started out as legit customer experience problem. And then, of course, over time, we found ways to monetize it in the sense of reducing severity, perhaps. And obviously, there's the how money incentive it? for the TPAs. They're driven by that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look naturally as, as businesses begin, right, with, with addressing a pain point, how do they evolve, right? As you get more data and metrics. Okay, how do we, how do we make it better? How do we continue to stay ahead of competition? You know, Indemnity control is, is extremely important. For a carrier. And so how do we how do we control that? And then the genesis of the quality assurance teams comes into play. And then how does that evolve? Well, now too much human touch. Now let's evolve into an automated quality assurance process. So I, I think naturally as business evolves and, and you get better data and metrics, you start to find, you know, efficiency gains, you start to find little things that keep you ahead of the competition. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it starts Customer service and then it, it continues to evolve, and how we get better. How can we provide more value, better service to our customers?
1: So, from your perspective, though, on the Contractor Connection side, because you had an inside view of it for a number of years, where do you think, and you don't have to speak directly to Contractor Connection, but where, where do you think this TPA model started to take a wrong turn in terms of where you started to see this polarization between contractors and TPAs and carriers? What do you believe was kind of the genesis of that negative? relationship emerging?
2: You know, scorecards, metrics. I think as, as we start measuring performance and setting benchmarks for what we think is good performance, I think it's always, how can we get better? How can we get better? And so as you continue to monitor those metrics and try to drive performance, it just grinds. It grinds on internal staff who are, are are driving those cycle times. It grinds on contractors who are trying to provide a good job, but they're, they're sort of at a conflict because... You know, going faster might not be the best thing for the policyholder, mm-hmm. and so I think at, I think the the more metrics, the more scorecards became popular, the more association of controlling cycle times and JD Power satisfaction and mm-hmm. policyholder retention. As you you start to tie that data together and see, okay, if I can if I can squeeze another day out of this metric, you know, that's going to separate me from competition. It's going to help me show you know customers that. Hey, we're dropping SAT and we're dropping policyholder retention. So I think it if if I had to to guess, to pick one, I think it's really the you know, maturity in the data and the metrics that that we've seen.
0: Brandon, I saw in your face a couple of times you you had a comment. I don't I don't want to make sure that we hear from you on this.
3: Yeah, no, I'm I mean, I have you know, going all the way back to the beginning, I think and as I sit and listen to you guys kind of banter here, it, it strikes me that Looking at from a carrier perspective, they're seeking sort of predictable outcomes, right? And how can they create process that's rinse and repeat, right? And that's that's one way to drive a predictable outcome. And as we see the see this start to develop and mature in the industry as it has over the years, that also creates negativity too, right? We we start really forcing you know, round claims through square holes. Yeah, they have to force them down. Rinse and repeat process that has a predictable outcome where we know that we can, you know, perform you know consistently. There's there's a handful of of these TPA or managed repair programs out there that have been around for a long time and they've really just they have the lion's den share of uh, of the market, and only because they have the systems and process in place. There's a huge opportunity, and I think why we see this emergence of TPAs and managed repair programs popping up everywhere, and there's so many today, is because these big entities now are so large and so you know, averse to change because it's such a massive undertaking for them to change their operations around. We had this sort of pendulum swing of you know the way that this operated in the industry, and it was two-dimensional. You know, it swung towards the carrier, it swung towards the vendor, and then back again. Today, it's a little bit different. We have technology taking a role in all of this, Mm -hmm. in removing the need for big teams of, of folks to go handle this and offload this from a carrier to a TPR managed repair network. And now all of a sudden, we've got sort of this different effect occurring out in the industry. And it really is coming down to, it's like the race for who can get the most effective technology that's going to play nicely in the sandbox with everybody's technology. And when we talk about that, that's what really becomes the emerging value in this space. I think as an industry, and Larry mentioned the JD Powers story, and there's multiple of them out there uh, of the same sort of, you know, different versions of the same theme. Carriers are going to continue to look for managed channels because of the predictable outcomes. But what's changed here, kind of post COVID, is carriers have been brought out into the light in terms of they have the same constraints with finding quality adjusting staff and and servicing personnel to manage these claims effectively. So they now want to put, you know, offload even more volume and they have to offload this volume to reliable sources that understand process, they're qualified, credentialed the right way to manage this very well. And there's just not a lot out there. So those handful of big players in the industry just continue to kind of get larger. As we, I think, talk about this conversation, there's a lot more to discuss. But you guys also said something else that I think is interesting that plays a role in this. You know, that historically in insurance and in the claims part of the house, there is, a, and I'm mentioning claims specifically because we're starting to see with technology and operations and understand more about what's important to a carrier. What it costs for a carrier to, to gain a policyholder and then retain that policyholder through a claims experience is, is a high friction point of you know, contention for the you know everybody in the industry. So if we start looking from the vendor perspective, the pros and the restoration contractors around, if I know what's important to a carrier and I know what's important to a policyholder and I start to ask the right questions, I now start to look at this from a different perspective and understand my role as a vendor in this formula. And if we think about having positive customer outcomes, meaning my customers are happy with my work as a vendor, The program I work with or the carrier I work for is going to be pleased with the high NPS score, customer satisfaction rating that they get out of it. We now create this holistic perspective around what we're doing in the insurance space to be a full policy lifecycle positioning. And when you start looking at the broader picture that way and understanding the, the industry that way, I think you start to ask different questions and look from different perspectives. We're going from a repair and replace mindset for the last how many decades?
0: Yeah, technology is bringing us
3: forward. Yeah, think about it. Right, we're Mm. now moving into a space where carriers are being driven by the policy and underwriting people in the house to say, "How can we become more predict and prevent focused?" And what is technology's role in that? And Mm. what are the managed repair channels to help us manage that more effectively and for everybody's well-being? Right. Mm. So now we start to see an emergence of you know managed repair strategies. That I think focus more on how do we level the playing field so vendors and carriers really have an equal interest and should be sharing in the cost to you know produce these you know predictable outcomes. What does that look like, and what are the, some of the topics mm. and questions we can we can raise around that?
0: I think that is really interesting. It it kind of reminds me we were talking about. Watley before we we hit record. And, and a lot of people are beginning, if they didn't know who Watley was, they're starting to recognize, you know, that team as far as actionable insights surety and others that he's inevitably engaged in. And one of the things that struck a chord with us when we first met them and started talking about actionable insights was just this board that they created, right? Of people that represented all vested parties in the claims process. And out of that conversation, we're ultimately able to start identifying pricing structures and guidance that we can use that we all benefit from right it's It's like we're finding a common language that we can all agree to and speak and it was just interesting that they created a business model that intentionally put those folks at the table at the same time so that they could influence you know ultimately what we have in terms of tools and resources and i it is weird to me, but it it My impression—it's always been from the contractor side—has been it never felt like we were ever actually invited to the table to have a conversation. It was, it was kind. It felt like I'm going to cry a little bit, Larry. I told you I wasn't going to whine, but it (laughs) felt a little bit like going back to why we did it. That we needed more predictable outcomes. And in really early years in our industry, it was literally the wild west. I mean, we were all just making up stuff as it went right. And I can see why we would want to regulate that, to systemize it, to come up some common ground. But I've never... It has never really felt like we've been called to the table. It's always been like, okay, we're going to set standards to fix the lowest common denominator And then we forget there's all these other contractors and vendor partner capabilities and skill sets in there somewhere. And some of those requirements through TPAs can, as you said, a grind. It feels like we're being asked to do stuff because there's no trust in the capability or the delivery methodology of the company. And so it's like, how do we start having some conversations where we all get to talk about and, and potentially help create the standards and systems that we should be following to create a really great customer experience.
2: For me, I think it simply you first have to start acknowledging that that the contractor is a customer. I've I've maintained for years, you ask anybody I work with, I, I'm a contractor at heart. I started in this industry as a contractor and I, I'm an accidental managed repair. And so I think the contractors for, for years have have just been the the forgotten customers. I think it, it starts with acknowledging just how critical contractors are to this whole process. I know that seems seems silly, right? But if you look at, you know, advancements in technology, if you look at, you know, the the decisions that are being made, it, it really, it's customer focused, but it seems to be one-sided, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the acknowledging that contractors are our customers and we need to build value around what they do, delivering better services to them, I think is critical. And that's that's where i think the biggest opportunity in our industry is right now it's 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 a wide open space for not just tpas but you know insure tech startups uh, like think about watley what he's done it, it's a wide open space to drive valuable solutions to pain points that contractors are facing and i just i don't think a lot of people are focused on it right now
1: just to hang in the in the problem a little bit cuz then we're going to go into the promised land and talk about how homies changing the the landscape but So in my background, I spent almost five years owning a state farm agency. And so we would have... And I forget if they were quarterly or annual claims calls where we'd have the national claims organization would give us all the stats about loss experience and all of that kind of stuff. And then underwriting would talk about how they're going to react to all the loss experience and what it's going to do to rates and whatever. And so I went through years of that. And one of the things that I learned is how dramatically claims experience affects the overall household retention for these carriers, right? And, and I forget the exact numbers, but I've told this to many of our clients that you know average retention for, say, a state farm of a household is something like like customer lifetime values, roughly nine and a half years of premium paying. But what's interesting is once somebody has a damage event of some amount of severity, a claim experience, if that claim generates positive outcome for that household, that household's longevity increases to roughly 22 years, if I recall. So it over doubles the lifetime value of that customer, By producing a good claim outcome. And one of the other dynamics, though, that I learned as a state farm agent is that when a claim goes sideways, something goes poorly with that claim, the customer views the claim experience as this bundled group of service providers that are all associated with the carrier. And this showed up in a bunch of ways, just how customers would talk about when they call and ask questions about the claim is that I think the customer tends to conflate their experience with the claim with the carrier not the contractor it's an interesting thing right if the contractor screws up the customer tends to blame the carrier they lump the carrier in and their agent in with that overall negative experience so we we coach you know some of our clients to communicate this to agents of hey look we understand that when you have a claim that goes well you've got a customer for life right you've delivered on the promise they perceive the brand as trustworthy But the exact opposite is true, too. If a claim goes sideways, it doesn't matter who caused that, whether it was an adjuster on a bad day or poor work delivery by the contractor, the customer conflates all of that as their experience with this carrier brand. Like They see it as a breakdown of State Farm. State Farm failed them because their rebuild project on their home was unsuccessful in their eyes. So we use that as sort of a talking point when selling to agents. Hey, we take this really seriously. If we can help you produce a great claim outcome, right? Right, you end up with a customer for life, et cetera, we both win. But I wonder how much you see that in terms of actual like research within the industry, just but but that seems to be a universal thing, is that bad claim, customer blames everybody involved, right? It's yeah. it's just every it was a bad claim experience, which affects the carrier in that way. So I'm curious for your thoughts on that. But on, on the flip side too, I, I'm curious about incentives. And Larry, if you can talk about this, like what are the KPIs? If you can remark on this, I don't know if you're still under NDA or how all this stuff works, but within contractor connection, what are the KPIs that leadership is driving the TPA teams to as they're processing these claims, you know, through their system? What KPIs are being tracked? Because I think to contractors, what it feels like is, the whole purpose of this was simply to reduce severity. This is just a way for carriers to reduce their severity by 5, 6, 8, 11%, whatever the numbers are, which ultimately maintains their profitability and so forth. That this is all about the carrier's profitability. It's almost as though they hired the TPAs to be their heavy. It's like the hired heavy,
2: right? Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the bodyguard, the guy you're going to send in first, right? Right.
1: I mean, it certainly it comes off that way, and I'm curious with your own experience internally, like what are the incentives for downline you know tPA staff what when they're looking at a claim what what are they being judged on in terms of their internal performance on these claims?
2: This is a great question because so in estimate review, right, the internal staff are measured on cycle times just as much as contractors. And so, you know, our, our main KPI was estimate review cycle time. As soon as it hit our desk, how quickly are we getting the revisions back to the contractor, if there were any, or or, or process through? You know, those staff are motivated to, to keep these files moving forward, right? Whether it's customer service staff, estimate review staff, which, you know, if you ask a contractor, it it, it seems to be that the, the common theme is, well, they're just holding my estimate. They're they're delaying the process when the reality is is they're they're under as much pressure as the contractor to get that estimate moving forward so yeah mm-hmm. internal staff are that that entire claims process right everyone is 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 trying to uh, to keep that cycle time low keep that process moving forward if you look at the main cycle times again it comes it goes back to JD powers right it's the main cycle time is estimate upload only because Estimate uploads drives how quickly that that estimate gets approved, and how quickly the job can get started, right? There's a lot of information out there. The longer it takes to get that policyholder back to a pre-loss condition, the lower the satisfaction goes. I mean, you just And
1: the greater statement. the severity too, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just gave a great example of policyholder retention. Like if you're able to have a good claims experience, and we tie claims experience to cycle times, how long you're, you're in disarray or chaos. If you can reduce that, then then you can paint a really good picture about policyholder retention. So estimate upload was was extremely important again because it leads to proving the estimate. And that's why there was so much of an emphasis on on the internal team moving those things as quickly as possible. I mean, there were so many metrics, there were so many root cause analysis done, and how can we get better and better and better? And then, you know, like I said, the approval piece, which is interesting to talk about because you know, the estimate approval, that's the carrier, right? That's the carrier's responsibility. And so from my perspective, I think this still even exists today. There's definitely improvement needed on that end, but there's, you know, not very many metrics at the TPA level on how quickly that happens, right? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. now, let me say that differently. They know how quickly it happens, but they don't understand the challenges that, that drag out the approval of the estimates. And so that has a great dependency on how quickly those jobs can get started. Which has a great dependency on on, on that claims experience. So yeah, I mean, internal, external KPIs are are important and the, and those groups are driving that performance. Now, as far as performance incentives, I mean, I think it's most TPAs have a scorecard, right? And that scorecard is used to determine, you know, the the effectiveness of that pro, the participation in the network, right? If you drop below a certain score. Is it still, you know, a good idea to do business? You know, most TPAs are also incentivizing, you know, assignment preference, right? So the higher you score, the more assignments you get. We want to get assignments to our, our best performers, which is good and bad. Do you give assignment preference to your top performers? Do they eventually get to capacity and now their teams are are really stressed out and now their performance drops? How do you incentivize that that lower performer to get better if they're never going to get a job? So it's sort of a double edged sword there with with incentivizing you know claim assignment preference with with scorecards.
0: Yeah, I think we've we've certainly felt like the limited positives of that, and certainly felt the negatives at times from that accountability. One, you know, one of the things that you said, and actually, Brandon, I'm curious to get your perspective on this too is. You talked about what like we kind of maybe started to lose some connectedness between TPAs and contractors when we really started to devise these scorecards, these measuring tools of, of seeing how we're actually performing in the field. And, I, you know, speaking for just myself, it, it's as much as i want to walk around the world and tell everybody i'm really excited to have my performance measured and be able to be held accountable right that it makes us all uncomfortable and at times most of us get pretty damn defensive about it if we're honest right and so i can certainly see how that has happened but brandon from your perspective you can't have one without the other like we we can't just lack accountability we talk about that all the time in our in our clients businesses from my perspective, it, it seems like Homie's doing it slightly different. I would think you guys probably think you're doing it very differently. So, what is there a way for us to have both that accountability and connection? We talk about this with employee bases, right? Can we do that in this environment, specifically with these TPAs?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, everything we've talked about today up until this point has been all these different constraints pushed down to the vendor, to the, to the contractor pro, right? And they're bearing the brunt, all the weight of the process and the cost and everything that's gone there. And that's why we've had, there's such a bad taste in their mouth, right? And because of that, a number of things happen. We, we start to you know track performance and quality and estimates and, and repairs and contractors aren't, they're not unintelligent people you're gonna you're gonna if you're gonna really heavily start tracking equipment utilization and and time and hours and jobs and things like they're gonna find other ways to offset those costs and and we end up with this environment that is just cyclical of like distrust because now we're gonna inflate other items that maybe are are wrong and it's not it's business you're gonna you know you're gonna put pressure on one point and you're gonna release it somewhere else and yeah. these these aren't people being <clears throat> you know uncredible or or operating, you know, unethically, it's just, it's trying to make ends meet the right way. And there's so many factors involved in what drives the way a contractor performs. And inevitably they're, they're kind of, they're like a child. They'll just keep eating ice cream until somebody stops giving it to them. And, you know, the system is broken to a degree because it, 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 you know, rewards good performers, but it keeps serving them ice cream. And ultimately, it breaks their performance or their quality because they just keep eating and eating and eating and eating. Mm-hmm. Very few have really figured out how to really like slow down, manage that capacity do it really well. So as we start looking at what's sort of broken or not working at the industry, we start to see these things occur. Mm-hmm. The other issue is, as is we start looking at the, the claim channels in the industry, or the funnels, so to speak, as I like to call them, and understand, you know, what makes up? the bulk or the line's then share of claims in the industry. And largely, if, if you're a big, you know, one of these big TPAs out there, and keep in mind, TPA, third-party administrator, these were born in like the health industry around having, you know, health insurance companies with doctors and medical provider vendors servicing patients with needs. It worked really well for the health industry. Very different than going out and putting a vendor or a doctor that's going to go knock on a door or ring a doorbell or do surgery in someone's living room versus in a hospital in a controlled environment yeah. so where where the TPA methodologies work really well in one industry or one segment of insurance they don't necessarily carry over and I say that a lot when we when we you know when we were really looking at Homey and sort of repositioning who homie is in the industry, I started to really look at and for years, I've gone back and said, what's the auto industry doing really well? That's a little closer to property yeah. than maybe medical, right? So then we started thinking about how do we create this direct repair environment that's a little bit more property friendly? And, and, and how do we start getting better performance in there and really making it about the vendor? You know, COVID mm. was wonderful because we saw supply chain challenges. We saw the Great Recession. We, we saw these, pro- and guess what? The carriers experienced the same problems the vendors were having. And all of a sudden, we were all the same. Mm-hmm. We all had the same problems. And now there's a much more, a higher comfort level in technology where we're all Zooming and we're all having doing video uh, meetings and, and more open to things like a Matterport or a DocuSketch or a, you know, some sort of a spatial data solution to virtually estimate or review and inspect a claim. You know, bringing this technology forward and making it sort of table stakes for the industry has continued to level the playing field. So now we have this situation where how do we make it healthy? How do we start to make it more balanced and stop that pendulum swing from leaning heavy to the carriers and their performance and desirable for, you know, predictable outcomes and rinse and repeat processes and take some of the weight off the profit margins and the expense and cost to the contractor. And we really looked at a lot of the cost and a lot of the experience here. And we said, well, technology plays a major role in this. We need to be very technology forward. The process is painfully analog today. As Larry talks about tapping a button to say estimate upload and, and create that to start the timer you know, and start looking at these KPIs, yeah. you we know, were all analog and painfully human manual processes. Mm. How do we eliminate keystrokes and mouse clicks? And how do we really condense the administrative sort of back office operation to get to that estimate approved? And then even more importantly, as we talk so much about Wiley, how do we get cash flow in the hands of the contractor yeah. in consumable bites that they can get them funded to start the job and get the material and do what they need to do? Because the problem with take, eating too much ice cream is you run out of money and your quality dips first because of your cash flow constraints. Yeah, if We keep cash flow flowing. Contractors are intelligent. They'll find they'll hire more people, they'll bring in more, you know, qualified temp labor, they'll find ways to manage the volume. But as soon as they stop getting paid, they can't continue to do that. You've taken the fuel out of the machine.
0: Yeah, that's, it's so true. It's funny you said that because I remember kind of our trajectory of TPA stuff was when I first came into the industry, the PSP program was still in existence for State Farm and we loved it, man. We had commercial accounts. We charged our materials. Like I did, you know, it was just this great relationship. The people on the ground that represented the carrier were, we were friends. Like we talked on a regular basis. There was a real connection there. And then of course, we, we got engaged with some of the others over time as that program went away. But one of the things that we always loved about some of the TPA work was direct deposit. It's like, okay, you, you know, I will deal as a contractor with a lot of frustration if, if the one frustration I'm not going to have is me getting paid for the services once I've rendered them. And one of the things that we saw over time was all of a sudden, this kind of staple payment process that was associated with the TPAs, now all of a sudden it was like, Oh, well, that carrier, actually, they they, they don't do direct pay. And now that carrier doesn't. And now all the carriers that are on this TPA no longer do direct pay. And I'm like, Okay, now I was frustrated before. Now the one thing I, I was really excited that you were creating a frictionless process with has become full of friction again. And that really did not give us a warm and fuzzy over time either. So what I was just doing some poking around with you guys, Homie plays a different game. Obviously, you guys are part of this payment strategy or or t- have a role in that. What are you guys doing? Let's let's get into the brass tacks in terms of what you guys are doing. What's your design focused on? And what is a contractor going to gain if they were able to or, or put in a situation where they're participating in your guys' programs?
3: Yeah, definitely. So first thing we do that I think is most important is we put the pro at the center of everything we are pro-centric, right? The pro is critical to getting the, the, the job done. And if we provide the pro with services and support to do their job well and take away some of the things they don't do well. Pros don't want to sit at a computer. They certainly don't want to have to pay a restoration coordinator if they don't have to. Why do we have to put that in their lap? Let them wear a tool belt, let them go out in the job, let them get the job done. And, and focusing on giving them solutions and using technology to do that better, is is been a, a key part of what we're doing at Homey? I think a little bit differently. Again, we don't want to, as much as you don't want to in this discussion today, bash anybody. These other companies that are out there that are doing it in the competitive space, they're they're just they're they're analog and bringing it into digital. And 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 I can I can hear some of those guys over there cussing me out right now, saying <laughs> tons of technology, great. But to really bring it to the point where your pros and your operations are, are really seeing and feeling the impact of that technology, it's not quite there yet. These are mountains that have to be moved with these big companies. So yeah. we are born and started in a mobile and digital environment that is intended to let people focus on what they do best and automate and bring technology and digital solutions to the parts of the process that don't need a human to do it, first and foremost. Secondly, we want to focus on getting contractors paid quickly. We're paying out in in days and a few short weeks at the most, where another scenario is people are waiting 30, 60, 90 days. We do that intentionally. One of our flagship solutions we've identified, if we're going to come in and disrupt this industry, I'm not looking to take business away from the big three. They're, They're only getting a portion of the claims that are running through the system. We'd love to tap into some other claim channels that they're not necessarily winning at. Specifically, low complex type claims, they don't do extremely well because when you have a contractor that's already making a near single digit profit margin on a repair only or the repair portion of the job, it's hard to give five, six, eight plus percent and share that much profit with a company that honestly isn't providing support and services like they're in business together, right? I don't think it's going to be that way forever. I think these big companies are obviously well funded, they're going to make adjustments and and, and fix this but in the process that creates some opportunity and there's some other claims channels that I think are needed. So we focus on low complex claims. We also focus on bringing support to the industry. Restoration contractors need single trades just as much as carriers and low complex claims do. So having a robust and well-rounded, you know, I don't even like to use the word network, but marketplace So what we're really looking at at home and what we're trying to do is say the TPA, there's such a negative connotation with that managed repair network. And if we were to look at the old medical model of TPAs, the majority and kind of incumbent companies out there today operate like HMOs. We'd like to think we're part of a PPO system. It's an open network. Yeah. And this is important both to the carrier and to the vendor. You know, from a carrier mm. perspective, everyone talks about the network, but this network is very incestuous, right? Yeah. You know, so many people are in 15 different programs there. So whose network is it really, right? Mm. It's, it's a marketplace. So Homey today doesn't want to be a managed repair network or TPA in the traditional sense. We want to be a digital claims marketplace, and we want to be a resource that does a couple things. We want to provide supplemental labor and capacity resources. It could be an engineer, a consultant. It could be a single trade, a really well-qualified handyman that can help a large restoration operator close out some punch lists and complete work. Because those guys are out hiring single trade subcontractors just the same. And there's no credentialing or great process to manage that extremely well. We can provide that for these restoration companies and provide good services to the carrier at the same time. So building a system, like I said, that's extremely pro-centric and really focusing on the resources that get the job done once we get the claim off the desk, out of the computer, approved to move forward and make that happen from that point forward. So really kind of where we're at there. Larry? What do you? What's your take on, on that? Question?
2: Yeah, I, I just want to continue to emphasize this pro-centric approach that we have um, at Holme. So, you know, a, a wise leader at, at Southeast Restoration, if you don't know that group, great group out of Georgia, told me a, a while back that you know just about the, the burden on contractors with claims management, project managers. Fifteen years ago, if you look at their day, eighty-five percent of their day was spent managing projects and managing the customer. Right. 15% of that was the administrative side of it. Notations, phone calls, things like that. Fast forward to now, it's flipped. 15% of their day is actually focused on projects and customers, and 85% of their day is on the administrative side of it. But if you think about it, managing claims, handling claims, it hasn't changed. It's the same basic <laughs> flow, right? But what has changed is who manages a majority of that. It's the contract. Mm-hmm. Right? If you think about a move to virtual desk adjusting. If you think about a move to you really virtual everything, contractors still have to go out on site, still have to basically manage that claims process through to the end. And this individual said if you can provide solutions in those areas to reduce that administrative burden, then then you've really got something. And so, you know, that's what Homey is really focused on. If you look at what we're trying to do is take away a lot of those burdens, right? If you look at our model, we're tackling a lot of the policyholder interaction. We're tackling a lot of the, the gathering of the documentation. Brandon mentioned the, the payment process. So we're really positioning ourselves as, as an arm of the contractor's organization to help take on that burden so that they can focus more on completing jobs, pleasing that policyholder, doing the most important thing, which to your guys's point is that retention. Right. Yeah. Helping to to truly retain that false filter. They can't do it if they're on the phone with a with a customer service rep or they're pushing buttons in exact analysis. So mm-hmm. I think that, that that is a key differentiator too. And then something else, I mean, with the with the this insure, insure Tech is wonderful, right? It's helped get our industry really up to speed, but it's also added, you know, multiple different tools that contractors have to manage, duplicate data entry. And so the race to connectivity to Brandon's point is really, really important. How can you become a solution where one button provides what you need across multiple different platforms, multiple different tools? And if you mm-hmm. look at, just, just take water mitigation as an example, right? Moisture Mapper, Mika. That, I mean, there's there's numerous tools out there that all TPAs could adopt, all carriers could mandate. So you could be a contractor using seven different moisture data analytics tools so true yeah right and so i mean estimating platforms you you name the technology and and, and you can name i mean for every for every Coke, there's a pepsi right and yep. so there, there's just a ton out there so and that's something that we're extremely focused on here at home is how do we again reduce that burden that contractors are facing so that they can be what they want to be which is contractor servicing policyholders
1: Hey friends. Hey listeners. We're doing something a little bit different with our ads. So you've been accustomed to hearing some ads with our favorite partners and companies in the industry. Now we actually have a product page, our partners page on our website. So floodlightgrp.com forward slash partners. We want to give you a quick rundown though of the people that we're partnering with and we believe in as really go-to resources in the industry. The first one is restorationerp.com, right? ERPs are an important part of our sales process, our customer development process, and why reinvent the wheel? The Restoration ERP platform is awesome. It can be customized to your business branding and all that kind of stuff and has all the components to really create a value add for your commercial client. Accelerate Job Management Software. Everybody needs job management software. And we have just found Accelerate not only is their team like just really great to work with. When they get ideas from customers, they throw it into the, the product roadmap and they implement it. They're really advocating for the contractor and trying to create a software solution that works for them. Actionable insights, we recommend actionable insights all the time, right? All of us as restoration operators are looking for turnkey resources and training solutions that we can take our team to the next level. And AI, when it comes to estimating and Matterport and a lot of the other essential tools we're using,
0: they're an awesome resource. And they're always coming out with new great stuff. Yeah. Super influential in the industry. Uh, Super Tech University. Soft skills development training for your technicians, for your frontline personnel. Let's face it, frontline personnel are the heartbeat of our company. They are the ones that connect with our clients and create the customer experience. There's no better investment than investing in the ability for those individuals to represent themselves, our clients, and our brand's well, so SuperTech University, uh, Surety, they essentially are cutting down this life cycle between delivering service and then getting paid. Stepping in, removing the middleman in terms of mortgage companies, refining that pipeline, making sure that it, there's as least friction as possible, so we can go out, do a great job, and then our businesses don't suffer while we're waiting to get paid. The money's coming, and it's coming quickly. And then the last one, guys, is Liftify. kind of a newer entry to the industry. They're driving Google reviews, so they're turnkey partner that we can literally go out, provide a great customer experience, hand that name off to our trusted partner in Liftify and have them go chase that Google review. 25% conversion rate, which is Massive.
1: industry-wide. People tend to average 5% of the people you ask for a review actually convert. Lift to five bumps that to 25. We were such a big believer. We were a yeah. customer and they've been generating all of our floodlight reviews. And in a matter of a week and a half, we're up to, I don't know, close to 15 reviews yeah. in just a,
0: a short period of time. So, And I think people just underestimate what happens organically with your SEO search activity when you're getting these new and active Five star reviews from our clients. And we we just can't let the pedal up on that because of the effect on our business is mm-hmm. long. Big
1: deal. So check it out. Check out our partners page. Do business with them. You won't regret it. We're confident in that. Floodlightgrp.com forward slash partners. Thanks, guys.
0: I have a question that's been kind of burning on my head as as you guys have been talking. So one of the things that both of you alluded to earlier in the discussion was this idea of the just technology is ultimately going to change the standard because it's just going to give us access to new things. It's going to shorten communication timeframes, all these things. Well, our clients, right? So our our end user out in the open world who's going to inevitably have some kind of property damage they too are experiencing this globalization of information and all this and and so it's funny you were talking about kind of at the beginning of the TPAs the service that they were fulfilling primarily was the connection of the dots right it's like hey you have a damage we're going to do the heavy lifting and get you connected to a qualified vendor well all of us know now that anybody under the age of probably 40 They're getting information at the speed of light and they're probably conducting research before we even have any idea that there's a need or a prompt on their part to do so. Do you guys feel like that that competency potentially of the end user, like their ability to access information, connect the dots and conduct research, is that going to change... What platforms and TPAs are doing? Like, is there a new level of maybe accountability on their part, or a, a change in the kind of service that they're going to have to provide to actually be a value add for the end user based on technology that they have access to? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me, and it's it's
2: it's funny. It's part of my notes. I, I have it. My note is you know tech focused industry. You look at insure tech. If you look at this digital claims transformation that a lot of companies are going through. Why did it start, right? I mean, I don't think anyone really wants to take on million dollars change and, and change management that comes with it. I think the the new homeowner has forced everyone to do that, right? I mean, it's uh, look at my father. He still has a flip phone. But you look at me, I've got Apple device and like to say, I'm a, a bit digitally focused. So the new homeowner and being connected through their devices and technology, I think, has forced not just carriers, but if you look at contractors, a lot of contractors are very, very you know, tech savvy. I remember organizing um, an HVAC replacement for my mother and getting text notifications about the project manager that was coming out with his profile and his resume. And, and so I think, yes, the new type of homeowner and just how tech focused and, and, and tech savvy they are has forced this inclusion of the, those customers uh, into that claims process through a digital device. I think it's to Brandon's point earlier, I think a lot of the predictive analytics are really you know focused in on that area too, right? But yeah, I think definitely the new homeowner has, has forced a lot of this tech movement.:
1: I saw an article as I was preparing for our show, an article that referred to you guys as the Uber of property damage repair. And I thought that's a really interesting and potentially an attractive Kind of analogy, I think, to the millennials and and frankly to my I just am in the process now of doing build back on my own water damage loss that I had in my own home and it's interesting what it feels like you know as an industry person right we we have we have this view of how things work, and then when you 're in it in your own home, <laughs> it, you get a little bit different vantage point right as you're going through that process yourself, but the idea of having an uber like resource or platform as a homeowner for me to find quote qualified repair people to help me navigate this process and and have it be point and click is really interesting and I'm curious just how apt of a an analogy is that to Uber and I guess if there is an Uber like sort of element to the business how are you building out that network right because I I could imagine that you've got some markets where you have huge you know penetration and a robust list of single trades and restoration companies and stuff like that. But that seems like a massive lift as a company to get to scale where you've got all these people on your platform like an Uber to make it work. How close is that analogy to what you guys are trying to build?
3: I think it's accurate. I mean, HomeBee 1.0, we had the Uber experience in the policyholder hand. It was an app you downloaded on your phone. You can you know connect with a plumber, an electrician, an HVAC technician and have that you know, geo experience and watch them and route, you know, once they accept your request they come, you know, come, you know, get to your home and take the project. And I think there's value in restoration. We're working on a policy holder portal that will bring transparency that is, you know, going to allow the property owner to have more insight, which is going to reduce friction with the on-site personnel, the contractors and vendors that are working on the project, because a homeowner that's well-informed is going to be a lot easier to work for. The stress level is going to be lower. It's going to, it's going to pre- More effectively. More importantly than the policyholder portal, though, I think is the pro portal that we're producing. And this is putting everything in the palm of the hand of the pro to manage that program, not have to pay a restoration coordinator back at the office to do it, but put the tool in the hand and give it a true mobile first experience Mm -hmm. that allows the pro to be able to manage that job more effectively. And that we think is critical to getting really accurate milestones hit in real time. And it's a truly digital experience. Now, it's not, you know, earth shattering. There's similar solutions out in the space that are doing this. But what I like about what we're doing differently here at Homey is, you know, when I work at Matterport, you know, Matterport in capturing a virtual, you know, a scan of a property, it really changed our industry drastically. And early when I didn't have major competition, later when we did, it was interesting because the success of this technology really hinged on how seamlessly could it dovetail into the other technology. Could Mm -hmm. you get a link to a Matterport into the Xactimate scope? So while I'm redoing the scope, can I actually look at the virtual walkthrough? Could I, you know, bring this into, if you use Dash or PSP or one of these other solutions, restoration manager, could I bring that into my sketch environment so I could really take advantage of the accuracy Mm -hmm. the dimensions and the measurements? And what we learned today, you mentioned Google, How many plugins can you get in Google? If I'm used to Outlook, but I'm at a company that is in G Suite, but I want to have an Outlook email experience, I can download a Google app that gives me the Outlook tools to put my calendar in and lay out my Gmail to look very similar user experience to my Outlook. That today, to me, seems to be the key is have that non-exclusive, ubiquitous partnership and integration capability that says, listen, you want to use Mika or you want to use Encircle's new app for moisture tracking and and, document it? It's given us the same psychometrics and details that a carrier wants. Do we care which system it comes from? Let's give you a pathway to put that in our system. And let's be a central repository for that claim and the critical Mm. information that a carrier may be interested in to get that claim closed or approved or pushed forward to the next stage. And when we design technology in a way that's intended to be extremely open API friendly, partnership hungry, and bring all that to the table, now you pose the question of, how hard is it to build that network? Well, let me think about it. If we're integrated within Circle and all those contractors to the thousands that use Circle are in that app, and we give them a pathway to be a part of Homey that's low to no cost, you think they're going to get involved? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's a high likelihood, right? Yeah. And the same thing for Dash users and CoreLogic tools and various tools. And so mm. the more we integrate and we become this, we're not an estimatic solution, We do have a pricing model that when we get into an issue where a sustainability or or an exact price isn't quite working, we can give you a time and material platform to be able to kind of get the job written up and and get an approval if you can't get it done in one of your primary platforms. We're not taking business away from Verisk or, or CoreLogic. It's not our game plan, right? We view them as partners, and we just want to be able to create an environment where everyone can succeed and everybody has an appetite for information and really, it's the outcome, not necessarily how we get the information. I don't care if you use a Texas instruments calculator or a pad and paper or <laughs> how you come up with four from two plus two. I just need to know what the answer is four and, and put it in the system. And technology and transparency has given us the reliability and credibility to be able to say, listen, take your poison, get it into the file, get it documented, and let's get the claim approved and let's go get the work done. And we mm-hmm. have a happy customer. The carrier has great policy retention, and the world is a happy place.
2: What I think you're answering a question, I think, it is probably the most important question right now in our industry. If you take referrals off the table, right? You take referrals off the table. As a managed repair program, what value are you adding to a contractor? Take the referrals off the table, ask that question, and answer it honestly. And so I think Homie is doing a, a lot of great things, but it's... It could be a tough question for, for a lot of people out there, but but it's a very important question to to answer. I mean, referrals are table stakes, right? Vetted yeah. jobs are table stakes, yeah. right? I mean, everyone is offering vetted jobs, but beyond the vetted jobs, what value are you offering
0: to contractors? It's funny that you asked that question because one of the thoughts I had back in my head this whole time was the quality of the leads that we're getting. So... I don't think I'm the only one but part of our time in grade right working with TPAs it was always it felt a lot like there was this pressure of well since we're feeding your kids you're going to essentially do whatever we want well I was pretty tempted to to dance with the devil if if I saw the the loss opportunities coming through the door and one of the things that we just witnessed over time was that promise of this honey hole of opportunity didn't really correlate with what we were spending our time and energy doing. I was saying yes to ladder assists. I was going to estimate only requests, but they didn't tell me it was an estimate only until I got out and found out by the homeowner that their uncle's going to start the project on Saturday. I got a recon assignment and then I went out there and found out that actually the project's wet, but I can't sell the mitigation because that assignment needs to go to someone else. So I'm going to call and notify the 1-800 number that it's not dry yet. And then I'm going to watch that assignment go to my competitor." I'm whining and again, the Larry. the
3: customer unhappy because it's like Yeah. Five. The whole time the customer is yeah.
0: like, Dude, you already came out to my house. Why are we on day two? And by the way, your palm score sucks because your clock's still ticking. Anyways, <laughs> all that to be said, right? You guys are attacking this a little bit differently. When I look at the literature and your guys's website and start looking at what it is that you're saying, my impression is you're saying you're giving jobs. Yeah, not walk, leads. walk
1: us through, could you the life yeah. cycle of a claim the thr- from assignment to you know final customer satisfaction w- with the homie platform? How, d- how does that differ? And like to Brandon's point, right? These estimate-only assignments and all that kind of stuff, how does this look and feel? for an inbound claim at Homey?
2: I think that Homey, we don't pretend to be something that we're not, right? Not every carrier is going to fit what we're looking for. I think a lot of what you just described, the pain of estimates only and you know the lack of vetted leads, I think it comes from the inability for people to say no, right? I think there's this fear at managed repair programs of losing a customer to a competitor, right? You've got metrics, you know, job sold percentages, you know cycle times, you know satisfaction of that program with your contractors, and you know it's in the tank. And you're just afraid to, to say no or even fire a customer. And so I think as a result of that, you just naturally say yes and, and, and take on these programs that are not good for your network and ultimately provide that bad service out of fear of saying no and having that customer walk away. So Homie doesn't pretend to do that. We don't pretend to be something that we're not. If a carrier wants a program like an estimate only program, we'll have an honest conversation about how we can effectively service that program and and how we can effectively you know push it out to our network or how we can't right. So we've had a, a, honest conversations about that. So that's first and foremost how we avoid that at Homie. But as far as workflow is concerned, I mean i I can't think of any anything different or unique from a workflow standpoint that that we're doing at, or tracking. I think it's really how we do it. I think it goes back to the administrative burden that we're taking away from the pros and, and that we're, we're helping manage that process as opposed to be very hands off. And so to me, that is the biggest, biggest workflow difference with us.
0: Brennan, you got, I know your head's always working. You got something that you want to lay on top of that?
3: Yeah. You know, the process is the process. So how can you change the perspective around what you're looking at with that situation? You know, and I, and I think There's companies out there, you know, that I I think it, it pays to have good relationships with to say, listen, if your company's job is to just go do estimate and inspection only, we should be utilizing that. And part of our lineup is to be engaged with companies that do that. So when we do get a request to do an estimate or repair only, our goal is to send out a company that specializes in doing that and have them do that, not put that burden on a contractor, right? The other thing that I hear often not often but you know people do you know guys scratch their head and go wait a second you guys have contractors and vendors that aren't restoration or insurance vendors you're kind of diluting our environment taking work away from our guys no we're not that's not at all what's happening there's a lot of volume of claims that you're not getting to that need to be solved and quite honestly the first complaint i get like you just described was how many of those crappy little 5000, 3000 dollar repair only jobs do you have to kind of take on the chin to get an opportunity for a 2550k, you know, mid-large, you know, large loss opportunity? Kind of like my golf game. I'm horrible, but I keep I keep, you know, slinging golf balls because when I when I hit one hole, you know, you know under par, it's like I love it. Right. We're playing for that one good slot
1: machine. Yeah, yeah. That yes. energy will carry you through the next three loser games. Right.
3: Yeah. But, but the balls, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that's a fair way to play ball for everybody, especially knowing, that, right. We know that. I owned a restoration operation and, not a lot of guys in the industry have made the transformation. More guys start in insurance and move to restoration or the other side of the house than my story of coming from the restoration side of the house. I was a firefighter. I owned a restoration company. I learned how to you know, win and succeed as that business, went into consulting, and then largely now I'm really much more carrier-facing. But I'm never going to let go of my roots and my, where I come from because I think today with technology... A strong tie and understanding to what operationally it looks like for the boots on the ground. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think if understanding both the constraints and and I'll take I could take you down a L for a restoration company and tell you what good performance is at each branch on the way down the, you know, falling out of the tree, right? Yeah. So we get to the bottom. But we know what all those benchmarks and performance numbers look like. And there's two or three different, you know, models to run out there. But you know, getting back more to the question we want to use the right tool for the job, put the right resource in line to succeed. And when we're putting, and listen, if there's any better way to understand limitations of a network where they don't have capacity, they're putting the wrong tool. It's like putting a bulldozer to dig a little ditch. You know, you don't want to do that. And it's not fair to everybody in the game Mm. to bring out big guns when you need something basic and fundamental. And more importantly, somebody who specializes in estimating only and Capturing good documentation is going to do a better job every day of the week and probably has better tools to do it more efficiently.
0: Yeah, mm. it's funny. One of the things I just hear you guys saying across the board is there is a theme of it's not one size fits all we, we have a specialty, we provide a specific level of service and we, and we are a tool in the toolkit. And I think that that can be part of the challenge around the TPA conversation as a whole with contractors is we all end up falling in this camp of either you're in or you're out. You hate it or you love it. And the reality probably is, is that it's much more neutral than that. It can be a an effective revenue generator for your business if it's kept in correct context. If we don't necessarily develop our entire book of business around that one revenue stream or channel... And we think about what are the tools, the processes, the internal mechanisms that we need to have in place in order to maximize that one particular element... Of our business. And one of the things that we've been reading about, Homie, and, and looking at you, you guys are honest about that as well. You even use language like, hey, this could potentially be an additional revenue stream or a supplemental revenue stream. You're not making promises that you should build your entire book of business around a relationship with you directly. Did I read between well, the lines something there? Else or? That
3: you hit, absolutely, no, you got it, right? And what's more important is I think everything in our industry going... Full circle here. Rinse and repeat. We find one thing that works well, and we try to force everything, all those circle, you know, round claims to that square peg because it works. Because everybody has this problem, you know, a carrier, a, a five to ten thousand dollar claim for a carrier. Why should that have the same milestones and process as a fifty or hundred thousand dollar mid-loss, large-loss fire loss or cat loss, right? Yeah. So now the conversation again becomes. HMO, very specific in the network, follow a certain pathway. Everything functions very rinse and repeat. Mm. The experience isn't great. It takes a long time. You got to get a referral. You got to wait for approvals. You got to, or we can go the PPL route. If the network's constrained. We can go out of the network. If the process flow, if it's a small, you know, low complex claim, we have technology that pushes a $5,000 claim through the system very differently than a $50,000 claim. And mm. guess what? The pro manages it from a mobile device that's interactive, so it doesn't force the pro to have to think it's a different job. Go out, assess the damage, give a scope, schedule the repairs, get the work done. It shouldn't take more than ten to fourteen days for a five thousand dollar repair unless there's special order materials or requirements. Mm -hmm. Why is it taking forty five to go because of admin process that largely today is supposed to be digitized and using Mm -hmm. technology? Yeah. So we think from that perspective, solving that for the carrier. And not passing down everything to the contractor. So the other thing that we do very differently is we think that the carrier has an equal interest. Let's share the cost. And if we can find some middle ground where the carrier is paying for some really good technology that makes sense, and they feel good doing it, and they're getting good KPI performance and outcomes, and the vendor is paying less or very nominal fees and getting good quality work and the right-sized work, that's exactly what their specialties are and what they do well. Everybody's happy. That's where I think the future is and what we do, and where we think digitizing that process and bringing it to a marketplace where you can pick and choose your poison. Mm. And it could be regionally, you, you choose different contractors if you're a carrier that perform differently. It could be during a catastrophe. You probably saw our recent acquisition of MyCap Marketplace. Yeah. This is the Amazon for the insurance industry, and it serves vendors of all sorts, engineers, consultants, IAs, contractors, and it aligns carriers with the services they need. So now that coveted vendor manager everybody in these programs wants to have a relationship with because you think they're going to get a little bit better treatment if you know the vendor manager, right? We've designed some technology that is a vendor manager's dream. It solves their problem, and it solves some big issues that we have in catastrophe. Not all parts of the country, but the world is working towards those CAT opportunities. A lot of people get involved in TPAs and programs so that they can have a more structured opportunity to respond and do CAT work, right? So we've built this solution that services the industry to be able to mobilize more accurately and effectively the correct resources at the most efficient cost and to solve problems very effectively. And in parallel to that, when those operations are occurring and the carriers focused on the catastrophe. We've got a pathway to offload daily and best claims that are occurring for the people that don't mobilize a couple states away to go take care of the loss. So the point being is, if we build technology and systems that truly service carriers and vendors equally, we can service day-to-day claims while vendors that choose to stay home and not get involved in the catastrophe still get phone calls answered, approvals processed, and jobs continue to flow and they take care of the needs at home. While the guys that want to go mobilize and go respond to a catastrophe are getting better services better incentives, a more balanced level playing field that all the carriers can kind of compete in. And we lose that incestuous sort of your network, my network, his network kind of a thing. Yeah. And now it becomes an open marketplace that says, hey, we have this capability. Let us know where you need our help. We'll make sure we're there to do it.
1: Question, how does the Homey platform, the software, break down some of the silos that naturally exist between carrier and homeowner, policyholder, and construction company or vendor and policyholder. Because one of my experiences was, you've got the whole project management, construction timeline, repairs timeline. You've got techs coming in and out of your house, doing moisture checks, and then ultimately measuring your space and then doing material selection. There's this whole process that happens on the restoration company side. While there's an entirely different process, it feels like, to the policyholder on the claim settlement, payments questions that that carrier has about the contractor's estimates, the money is sort of on hold from the carrier and the policyholder doesn't necessarily understand. It's almost like two completely different conversations that the policyholder is having to keep up with and manage. And one of the opportunities I hear just from a customer perspective is, if you could almost make the carrier disappear in the process, right? and the policyholder is still privy to what's the next... Thing in front of me with this getting my kitchen back in order, all in a singular place. Like I found myself calling my contractor, my restoration contractor. Hey, remind me what's going on, <laughs> right? That whole thing over and over, and then my wife, of course, because we both have you know work and we're both career people. There was a lot of back and forth on the contractor side, but then the contractor would say, Hey, have you heard from the adjuster? I'm like, well, no. Let me log into my State Farm portal and see what the last confidential communique was I was sent. <laughs> and then I'm going to email them back because I can never reach anybody on the phone. And then I'm going to wait 24 hours for a reply from them. So I get this tidbit information that I then pass along to my project manager at the restoration company, right? It's like, is there a way that Homie is trying to solve for that? Is that one of the well, things yeah, that I you mean, guys are solving for? Yes.
3: Yeah, so like I said, right? So open API means... Those silos can now be, have a direct line of connection of information that reduces any duplicate entry, right? Whatever system you're choosing to use, with a good connection, it's going to automatically populate into the central repository of information. And then depending on what that information pertains to, if it's the pro or the vendor, it can go to that pro portal to that. It can go to the policyholder vendor. Carriers are very interested in a solution and paying for that solution to create a pathway or channel for their policyholder to be in that loop, and that's highly desirable to them as well. So yes, we've solved for that, and we're producing tools to do that. One of the fears that you get with carriers is there's you know some states have these anti-steering laws around you know pushing a policyholder to a contractor because the policyholder thinks all oh, the carrier and the pol- the contractor in cahoots, and I'm going to get a lesser you know outcome because of it, right? Sure, or other different situations, but. When you bring transparency and communication to the table, you give the policy holder that PPO option to choose many in or out of a network, you now get away from those constraints and issues. We now have a carrier and a contractor having better open dialogue and communication without trying. Their systems are communicating that information. You know, someone's arrived on site, there's a notice in the system that will automatically push to the care to whether it's GuideWire or SnapSheet snapshot or uh, any of the other systems that a carrier may use starting to log and manage this information that could be critical to they receive a phone call, insured's complaining about the contractor in some way, shape, or form. Carriers can answer the phone at their call center, they're going to open up the file, and they're going to see in their system of choice, some recent notes or documentation or details that'll better inform them They have a better conversation or more successful conversation with that homeowner or policyholder. Yeah. So simply connecting the dots of technology to allow these things to Communicate information back and forth is the critical key today. We're really? seeing that change in our industry. We're <laughs> seeing silos of big companies that are owning large market share that were previously not easy to work with becoming much easier to work with and partner with and integrate with. And we're leveraging that to every possible angle we can with every one of those major players.
1: I love that. That makes perfect sense to me. I mean, again, being in the middle of a still open claim, <laughs> right? the fact that these entities aren't talking to each other in a healthy way is i think a big part of the angst right it, to both the homeowner but also the contractors so the fact that you guys are getting everybody into kind of a centralized
0: dashboard you're integrating those communications is it's huge yeah it's really huge okay timing guys we want to protect you on your time As far as like steering some folks to go give themselves the opportunity to learn more about what you guys are doing, what your platform offers, and of course, our advice to anybody is we do not bring people on our show to to pitch a specific product by any stretch of the imagination. However, when we see companies that it looks like their actions their deeds, how they carry themselves, and how they work with their partners. If it's something that we respect, then we want to ensure that people have an opportunity to learn more. And that's how we feel about Homie and your guys' leadership team. We just respect what you're building. We like the way that you speak about how you're going to serve the contractor, which we are obviously partial to. So guys check them out where are we sending folks to learn more about homie and, and what you guys are doing
2: so homie.com you can reach us there Mike at marketplace.com is another other area to reach us LinkedIn you can find Brandon and I on LinkedIn if you're in Vegas next week Brandon I'll be at ITC the connect conference there in Vegas reach us out on on homie you can you know reach out to someone from our organization I'd love to have a conversation with with any contractors carriers anyone learning wanting to learn more about
0: homie but yeah find us there I love it. Guys, for those of you that are listening right now, you have heard us in the past speak about our frustration (laughs) with TPAs. And and I just want to be really clear to everybody listening is it's really important that you do your own research and ask your own questions on whether or not participating in some kind of managed program is relevant and important for your business. And, And the thing that I would just petition all of you as you explore that is really think about the kind of work that you want and that your business needs. And then ask questions to identify if the program can provide you that. And I think what happens a lot is that we are desperate. We want more money. We want more revenue. We think just get more top line regardless of how it looks. And it'll somehow make our day better. And so I just encourage people, have a critical mind have a conversation. Remember that it should be the TPA's job to woo you and to earn your business as well. And if you guys sit down and talk with Homie and Homie's able to do that for you, then get it done. But don't approach that relationship from a desperate perspective. It's not going to be good for you, your business, or the people you serve. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Gentlemen, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We are hopeful that we'll be spending more time with you guys in the industry as as time goes on. So...
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having
0: us. Yeah. All right, gents. Thanks, thanks a, a lady, lot. Guys. Thank you. Take care, guys. All right. See you later. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Head,
1: Heart and & Boots. And if you're enjoying the show, but you love this episode, please hit follow, formerly known as subscribe, write us a review, or share this episode with a friend. Share it on LinkedIn, share it via text, whatever. It all helps. Thanks for listening.